New year, new episode of the Recruiting Blitz podcast powered by the UC Report. This week, uh, we go through the Power Five conferences and we take a look at our surprise class from each conference and who may have disappointed us in each of the conferences this week on the Recruiting Blitz podcast. Recruiting Blitz, powered by the UC Report, uh, is back. Uh, very busy couple of weeks uh, for myself with the uh, travel for finishing up the high school football schedule, the Under Armour game. Uh, Wade was skiing in the Swiss Alps. We've been able to get back. Get I, back. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. I was under a, <laughs> a pile of portal and commitment information yeah, that so, uh, we're still digging out of. Yeah, so it's been, you know, it's interesting that Obviously, to have a podcast centered around recruiting, and then uh, during kind of a tidal wave of stuff going on, getting everybody's schedules on the same page to be able to dig into everything that was going on was obviously very difficult to the travel and the different things. And uh, we sat down and said, you know, is is this viable going forward? Uh, talking about obviously the recruiting blitz podcast, and uh, you know, obviously sometimes. There are bigger picture things that take precedent, uh, like I said, between uh, signing day and, and games and the Under Armour game. And there's a lot of moving pieces to all those things. Um, but there's a great spring ahead with the camp circuit. And obviously, while we were having that discussion, the groundswell of support uh, from throughout the nation. I didn't expect the crowd of people outside our office. Uh, but those signs uh, certainly... Help to say, hey, you know what? Uh, anytime something is building and growing, there's going to be starts and stops and rough patches. And uh, so, all that being said, we're glad to be back and uh, <laughs> looking forward to a great spring. As again, as we're getting ready for camp season, I think uh, pretty much a month from today or tomorrow or when this post uh, uh, started, and then we're going to see a lot of great prospects in a 24-25 class. Get a chance to get some insight from them as their recruiting profiles grow and. Wade, as we continue to watch evals for Max B for the UC report and ESPN future 300, junior 300, still a lot to talk about. So we are glad to be back and uh, uh, more great guests coming along here in the spring as well. But wanted you just kind of uh, review a few things. I think one of the interesting things is together as a staff, myself, uh, you, Wade, Billy Tucker, Tom Luganbill. Um, our, our man on the streets there, uh, Demetric Warren, we all got a chance to kind of get together, start talking about future ESPN 300 uh, updates, um, and had our kind of our first kind of real post meeting today. And I will say this is a glimmer. There is no consensus on a number one. That's yet. right. Quite a few names were thrown out. Uh, quite a bit of discussions. Um, some raised voices. Uh, so we will. Uh, we will see where that lands as we still have a few more meetings before that comes out. Um, about, I think, what, it's still another week or so until after this even post. So, still a little bit more time to go through that, but I, I think it was an interesting discussion, and there'll certainly be quite a bit of movement uh, there between that group as uh, you are a scribe who kind of handles all the numbers there, gets everything moving uh, as, as we fight amongst ourselves, myself, Billy, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned the, uh, the debate over the number one spot. Uh, if this was a trial, uh, cases have been made, uh, the jury is back deliberating, yes. and as you said, there is no answer at this time, so uh, we will, uh, we'll see how it comes out, but that's where we're standing right now with the number one overall player in the class. Yeah, and obviously a big driving force was the uh, playoffs for high school football, and 
the All America series, obviously, you know, even more so got the chance to watch and as much as we could of the All American Bowl uh, between TV and uh, as much stuff that was posted. Uh, spent quite a bit of time on YouTube. Uh, watching videos, and then obviously we were down there the entire week uh, for Under Armour, and there were quite a few impressive performances from both of those games that are going to uh, catapult some players up as well as uh, see some players as well kind of shift down. And Craig, you know, uh, I was stuck up here in the cold in New England. I'm not down at the Under Armour game. We're doing uh, sign day stuff, keeping up with the portal, all our regular day-to-day in the office. But as many fans of recruiting – I'm sure would like to have the opportunity would be down on the ground like you and the staff in Orlando. And, you know, just as somebody who wasn't there, what were some of the things that stuck out to you the most? Maybe not stuff that happened, you know, during the, uh, the telecast of the game, but during the week, on the field, off the field, practice, preparation, or some things that stuck out to you? I will say this. This is the one thing that jumps out. Obviously, by the time we get to the Under Armour All-American game, we're aware, as all of you are, that these are – the elite prospects in the class. I think what's most helpful, most interesting, we've talked about it if you watch the practices on ESPNU or the game itself. Um, what's great about the week is we get an, uh, almost seven days, pretty much seven days with these players. It's hard to be on first date behavior for that long. <laughs> so it's a great opportunity to kind of get to, to know these players, see them a little bit um, over the course of, of a week and how they interact with uh, each other, support staff, uh, how they treat coaches, are they on time for meetings, all those type of things. I will say this, probably one of the most exciting things was, I would say, having been a part of the Under Armour game every year since its inception back in 2008, this was probably top three uh, best just group of kids that we've ever had in the game in terms of just the way they carry themselves, mm-hmm. the way they conduct themselves, the way... Uh, not only just were they great kids when they stepped on the field, they competed. Uh, so that was really like, I, I feel like you, you walk away from this class, and these are really talented, but also going to see a lot of players who are going to do the right things in college and maximize their ability, and that makes it even more exciting. Um, obviously, it was just, uh, you know, Malachi uh, Nelson uh, was unable to perform, just had surgery. I uh, would have loved to have seen him, did have a chance to see him this fall. Uh, in person, but really talented player. He's the current number one. Uh, Jackson Arnold is a guy who going into the week was creating a lot of buzz as a potential contender. I can yeah. say that. Uh, having seen him this fall, uh, I certainly feel like he's a contender. And I will say this, talking to some of uh, uh, the reporters from some of the other sites there, 247 Rivals, um, he he's somebody I think is a contender not just for ESPN but for 247. Really? Right. Okay. I wow. think, yeah, that name was thrown around a lot. I had a lot of discussions with some of the other guys down there. And then obviously, if you tuned in to the All-American Bowl, you cannot not be wowed by the way that Dante Moore uh, played. Yeah, he was impressive. And then That's you look sure. at the situation he's walking into there at UCLA, you go, wow. So those are three names we talked about. There's no number one uh, finalized yet. Uh you know, extrapolate from that, those comments, what you will. <laughs> yeah, there was one name that was not mentioned. So, okay. so who, yeah. were the, who were the names of the players being considered uh, for that number one spot and kind of creating a lot of the confusion? I think one thing that came away from the Under Armour Week, too, is, and I think this is a player that sometimes you got to look past measurables and just look at how dominant they are, and it's Peter Woods. Peter Woods is a five-star going into the game. Uh, I think some people maybe look at 
some of his measurables doesn't have great height, may not wow you in terms of arm length, but he is explosive. He is disruptive. He was uh, one of those kids that we talked about. He was one of the captains for the game. Uh, I think he was a leader in the way he carried himself. So thoroughly impressed with, uh, you know, he was a five-star in our minds by the way he played. I talked about during the game. I had a chance to see him in 2020 season. Um, so he was a sophomore. Yeah. And he got hurt, like, in the third series. And even after, like, 20-some-odd snaps, I still wrote about him as a guy. To, <laughs> so right out the gate, he impressed me, continued to impress me, and, and he was just one of the absolute studs uh, down there during the Under Armour All-America week. And, I mean, we've talked so much in the past about how the offensive line is at a pretty severe disadvantage in the all in the uh, all-star game setting then you know without time to be cohesive as a unit defensive linemen and their pure physical measurables can have a real advantage in the game but still he was a problem pretty much from start to finish in that game and something that could not be ignored uh one thing i wanted to go back to you'd mentioned how good of a group you felt like this was not only on the field at the under armor game but also off the field and i'm just looking at the espn 300 right now uh, we actually have 76 players with a grade that kind of signifies we think that's a top 50 player or a player who would be basically a, you know, a commitment that would be taken by almost any program in the country. And so I wonder if uh, subconsciously some of that stuff was bleeding through in the rankings during the year about just this being a good group, not only impressively on film and uh, with scouting grades, but just in all the interactions that we've had at camps, the all-star circuit now you know, being completed I'm, I'm kind of wondering if that kind of had creeped its way into our rankings over the year a little bit too. Yeah, because remember, this was not a – for some of these players, it was our first extended um, interaction. But for many, it wasn't. Yeah. Like Zachariah Branch, who was a, was a five-star, had an electric return, almost two, but in the game and throughout the week, like we've seen him a ton. Yeah. Like nothing about what he did or the way he carried himself kind of surprised us. Uh, you know, so he was a five-star going into the week, you know, acted, um, carried himself like that, performed like that. Um, Makai Lemon was a guy that we had moved to five-star during the season because he's just an intense competitor. Once again, was one of the top players there. Um, you know, David Hicks, five-star. Yeah. You know, I mean, he came in and, and performed like that as well. So there were a lot of, a lot of players that really like, to me, you know, an exciting thing about the week was a guy who we didn't get a chance to see much but was really impressed was Nicholas Harbour. You know, I think I had, you know, kind of called him my uh, uh, unicorn of the season earlier in the year <laughs> because I had never – you heard about him. You yeah. watched him screaming down the track, you know, and all those <laughs> things. But it, it, I remember checking day. Obviously, there's 100 players coming in. Some of them I know quite well. Some of them I've met. But in passing briefly and trying to remember faces and everything, I remember he walked in and I just – I remember thinking to myself, who is that? Like, <laughs> he walked in and he was like, he's tall yep. and he's long. And he, you know, you don't almost, you look at his body type, I almost don't like equate him with how fast he is. I just remember like, hey, like, how did, I went over and introduced myself. It's like, oh, you're Nicholas Harbour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you watch it. And then obviously I think the discussion could be whether he's on defense or is he on offense. Um, you know, I think one of the interesting things about that, he's still uncommitted and uh, we'll have uh, more details hopefully, I think that commitment likely coming uh, on February 1st. Uh, I think a uh, good chance to be able to see that uh, on our coverage on ESPN that day. Uh, more information and details coming. But, um, you know, talking to a lot of the – obviously, I'm a great group of players, great group of coaches as well. A lot of them feel, you know, maybe he should be an edge defender or a length and things. 
Uh, interesting point brought up, though, by uh, uh, one of his coaches is that he's an elite track athlete, elite track athlete. And to move to defense might mean putting on more weight, where yeah. if you stay as a tight end, you can maybe stay a little bit more in that track weight. So that's an interesting factor that I had never thought about as well. And, um, you know, and I think he flashed during the week as a tight end. He did. You know, he made some catches. And think about it, too, from a scheme standpoint. Like, he, he catches one or two passes in a game or runs one seam route. Next thing you know, you got to worry about him the entire game. Yeah, just the sheer fear factor of yeah. what he could do, yeah. So, you know, and, they, you know, he lost the, uh, you know, the kind of, I'm um, using air quotes here, you can't see me, but the fastest man uh, competition, but had that been another 20 yards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, 40 yards is not – he, he, he's got such long strides, but one of those players that he did uh, compete against and actually won the fastest man and defended it for future 50 was Dylan Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his, you watch, you go back and watch the practices of that, his get off is so explosive. And that was a huge pickup there by Deion Sanders and staff at Colorado to kind of get him uh, to flip it on board. Cause again, he's diminutive, but he is uh, an exciting player and showed yeah. that in the practices in the game as well. And I mean, if that's maybe a whole nother uh, podcast episode, what, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, has done making the move to Colorado, what he's done in the early going, uh, the success that he had at Jackson State. But if you want to talk about a guy who's probably going to embody exactly the way he would like for his Colorado team to play on the field, explosive, speedy, big plays. I mean, Dylan Edwards, you know, especially at this late stage in the game, to secure him as, you know, one of the headliners of your class, perfect fit for what Coach Prime's going to want to do out there. Yeah. And then, I mean, listen, I mean, I can, we can almost spend an hour, like, going through the roster. The <laughs> linebackers were, were phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, from uh, Troy Bowles in coverage um, to Jordan Hall, uh, who, you know, kind of performed as you would expect, coming from IMG, a three-time captain, Raylan Wilson, uh, explosive player going to Georgia. I mean, watching yeah. him close mm-hmm. is kind of one of those oh-wow-type uh, moments. On Terry and Perkins, uh, he is, I mean – what he did in the state championship game kind of almost deserves a bump alone, but you watch the way he plays and how versatile and athletic he is. I thought the Harris twins uh, actually didn't know what to expect. I thought they were even better than I had had anticipated. They're Mm -hmm. still uncommitted. Um, A lot of great defensive linemen, receivers, uh, outstanding uh, group. We talked about Branch and uh, uh, Makai Lemon, Um, Jonte Cook, uh, he was he was phenomenal. There were a lot of great receivers there. Good group of running backs. So basically, we'll have more, and we'll probably you know Wade will dig a little bit more deeper into this when we do a 300 update because yeah. some of that, some of this will correlate uh, to that. But uh, again, it, uh, meetings underway for the updated ESPN 300 that coming, and once that is released, we will uh, dig much deeper into that and kind of talk a little bit more about what we saw on Drummond, and as well as how some of that correlates to what we saw from the uh, All American Bowl. Uh, down in San Antonio. So with those kind of uh, broad strokes from the Under Armour game, again, as we kind of get ready for the 300, but, you know, the early signing period is in the books. we got the regular signing period coming up, but, you know, I, I, you and I, Wade, were talking of kind of, a, kind of a way to kind of recap how that early signing period wrapped up and uh, with a look at some of the conferences. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to see the rankings 1 to 75, check out Craig's, you know, rankings on ESPN.com. If you want to look at where your school stacked up in the conference, we have the conference rankings up there as well. But we kind of wanted a more of a discussion-based thing. And, you know, recruiting is all about hope and it's all about the future. And what that means is expectations. And so I kind of want to do a little exercise 
let's go conference by conference using the, you know, the Power Five conferences. And I wanted to give one class that we thought was surprisingly good based on our expectations, maybe coming into the year or as the year you know, on the field developed. And then one class that we were disappointed in, um, you know, how they finished based on what our expectations were, again, coming into the year and how the year uh, finished out. So why don't I, I'll let you do the honors of getting started. Let's start in the ACC. What do you got? All right. So this was actually probably one of the tougher ones uh, for me. Um, and actually almost kind of went Boston College because I actually think their class is quite intriguing. I like their class a lot too. I think it's yeah. a class to get better at, and yep. which they need to. Um, and you talk about a year where they, uh, I think three and nine, they finished up. So, um, but I, you can't look at the ACC and not, I think to me, uh, not discuss Miami. You know, yeah. Uh, Miami obviously has uh, deep roots in the history of recruiting and success in college football, but they haven't been that way in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you would expect. Um, them to have an impact with Mario Cristobal going over there. He's always been an elite recruiter. Um, but they didn't actually have the type of year on the field that would make things easy on the recruiting trail. So they certainly made things as difficult on themselves as they could and still excelled. And not only did they, you know, they sitting there with a top five class, uh, you know, they've got outstanding players at key positions. Obviously, still work to do. Cromani McLean is unsigned. He is committed, but unsigned, so that's something to watch. But you've got two outstanding five-star offensive linemen led by Francis Malangoa. Um, you, you've got plenty of uh, – you've got some defensive linemen in there. We always talk about one of the ways that Miami's going to get better is by keeping hometown talent. They did that with Reuben Bain. Yep. Some of the things we discussed with Peter Wood, you can say about Reuben Bain. Reuben Bain doesn't necessarily – have the ideal length, but you cannot dismiss the production that he gets on sure. the field. Yep. And he's a versatile player. And he so he's very much almost in that Peter Woods type of vein. It's a big time um, pickup for them. Damari Brown, there's a lot of uh, you know, kind of a lot of buzz heading into the early signing period that, you know, obviously anytime you go head to head with Alabama, that's difficult, but it's an American Heritage player. Their coach is there at American Heritage in Plantation, Florida. You know, they very much kind of feel like he was a player uh, kind of in the mold of a Patrick Sertan Jr. So that was a huge pickup. So they've got, you know, some defensive linemen, offensive linemen. Again, they got to get Cormani McLean across the finish line. But even with Demario Brown, they got outstanding corner. So not only is this a class with a lot of talent in it, but a talent at some premium positions. So for me, again, there was a few classes in there I could have went to. Boston College was one that kind of popped in my mind. But I couldn't do this exercise and not talk about my happiness. Yeah, and I mean – Miami was the one that I had, too. I mean, they were on the field, probably the least impressive of the three Florida schools this year, uh, and it was just flat-out ugly at points, too. Uh, And as you said, you know, rich history of recruiting, but not necessarily a guarantee recently. The thing that I like most about this class, and this is with or without Cormani McLean signing, quite frankly, is I think this is a really repeatable type of class for Miami. You talked about keeping the local kids at home. Tons of state of Miami kids from the three counties, you know, that are around campus. Um, they did a lot of work at IMG, which, of course, these kids do come from all over the country and they, you know, have a tendency sometimes to go back home. But I could see them doing work there again in the next class. And then you pluck a couple high-profile guys from out of, uh, you know, out of your region. That's something they can do again. Yeah. And that's why, to me, I think the Miami class is so exciting. Um, yeah, so I have Miami as my surprisingly good class on the trail in the ACC. Uh, all right, and the other side, this was really tough. I didn't know where to go with this, and I 
kind of cycled through a few teams. You know, one was Syracuse, and obviously only because they had a you know they had better than expected year on the field. And they're getting hammered in the portal too. It's it's a, it's been a tough go for and them recently. Some yeah. of the things that about that this twenty three class that you would like, they lost down the stretch. Like yeah, the North Sellers, yeah, nice flipping to South Carolina. Yeah, Vincent Carroll Jackson, who was a late riser at a Pennsylvania defense line, wind up signing with Nebraska. Rose so, right off their class. <laughs> so there was some moments there. You're like, all right, Syracuse, and then it's just like they again. So, but then again. You know, what are the expectations? Actually? Exactly. Right. So, and then uh, you know, then Louisville got a hot start, and things kind of fall apart. And, but there was a coaching change there, so yep. I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack. So, the one I went with was, and again, it's just tough, and you know, but I went with Pitt. Okay. Because Pitt is one of these classes that finds success on the field, and but they're not necessarily a consistent <clears throat> presence in the top 25 um, in. Their 2021 class was at number 25. Last year, though, they were number 65. Currently, they sit at 52. So there's one of these classes that fluctuate. It's just, it's one of these, it's just, again, it's, they have kind of that blue-collar lunch pail style to them. And you look at the top of their class, a guy like Isaiah Neal out of St. Francis Academy. Um, So it's like, I don't want to, it's hard to kind of beat them up too bad because, again, you can almost, you know, you can almost poll 10 different people on what their expectations for Pitt in, in recruiting Some is. Some fans and might be happy with it. They yeah. get like yeah. 10 different reactions to <laughs> yeah. it. But, uh, you know, 9-4 on the field. I just, you know, but still, I, I don't, you know, no four-star players. Uh, you know, so it's just, again, I had a tough time landing on one. But I, I look at one and what they've been able to kind of get done on the field. And you think maybe there might be a little bit more of an upward swing to their recruiting. Um, but, again, they kind of seem to find a way to get it done with where they are. But I... Again, I cycled through a few teams there and ultimately landed on Pitt just because of maybe sometimes the disconnect between the production on the field yeah. and, and the recruiting rankings. You know, I went a different direction. I went with a school that we can have high recruiting expectations for. And I think it was on our first podcast. We had the first class rankings, and we talked about a school that could go one way or another. You brought up Florida State, who I think was at 25, and I totally agreed with you. You know, the thinking that if it got rocky and they're you know, maybe – Coaches could be on the hot seat or whatever. That class could plummet. Or if they had a good year on the field, it could skyrocket. Well, they had a pretty good year on the field. I think they're 10-3. and three. They had wins over Oklahoma, LSU, Florida, Miami. Close loss to Clemson. Again, um, they were the best-looking team on the field of the three Florida schools this year. And they finished at 18. Now, again, this is, this is a good class. Um, they didn't finish it either. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, they are currently at 18. They've got a nice headliner in Hakeem Williams. It's a good, deep class. Nice gets in the portal with Jaheim Bell and Fentrell Cypress. Again, behind Miami and Florida um, on the trail in these rankings, and only third, you know, third overall in the ACC. Also behind Notre Dame, you know, partial ACC affiliate. I think, even though I've listed them as the disappointing class for the ACC for this year, I'm more interested in following next year's class. Because if that one isn't the one that really jumps up into the top five, then I think you have reason to worry that they might not just get there in this, you know, in this current program. Because when Florida State has it going, they're competing for it. They have signed the number one class before, yeah. and they compete for top classes. So again, not a bad class by any stretch. This is a very good class. But I think Florida State, with the way they started off on the trail, the season they had on the field, I had a little bit higher expectations for them than be sitting where they are right now at 18 overall. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Um, it's... You look at the history and what their potential is, mm-hmm. uh, but I would 
I think, you know, they've gone through some rough patches and you, you know, they coming into the year, that was a hot seat job. Yeah. And now, you know, so you would think maybe, okay, the success they had this year, they seem to be moving back in the right direction. To your point, what do they do with an yes, entire it's 2024 the, cycle? The 24 cycle, it's, it's, it's not so much what's happening right now, but kind of what was happening when these players are starting to be recruited. Yeah. And Florida State definitely didn't have that at the you're, beginning of the you're, cycle. You're, but you're sending notice that you're, you're watching. Oh, yeah, and I'm yeah. sure they'll be, <laughs> they'll be monitoring my... Yeah, yeah. Uh, my <laughs> yeah you said that word. Uh, I'm not saying you're totally disappointing, but I'm putting you on watch. <laughs> All right, so let's move, uh, let's move to the Big Ten. Who do you have as your, uh, the class that surprised you with how good it was? To me, this was actually one of the easier ones, and to me, that was Michigan State. I really, they're sitting at number 25. Yeah. It wasn't a great year for them on mm-hmm. the field. Um, and I actually, I think this is a really good class. We just, a little bit earlier, Wade, you and I were talking about the Under Armour week. I think two players that stood out during that week was, uh, we talked about it, Jordan Hall. I think he's a plug-and-play guy. Yeah. Um, Pepper Johnson was one of the uh, defensive coordinators down there, the Five Super Bowl rings, two as a player, three as a coach with the Patriots. Uh, he's playing with the Giants. He was the head coach in IMG for, uh, I think, just a season. But um, when he came on board to help out at the Under Armour game, one of the first questions was, is Jordan Hall on my team? Because <laughs> he knows the type of football player he is. Again, um, a little bit of a transient program for a player like Jordan Hall to be a three-time captain with a roster that's often filled with four and five star caliber players speaks volumes of the way he carries himself yeah and what other top players also think of him um so i, I think that's it i think he's a phenomenal pickup for them and then stanton ramil uh he's out of thompson high school in alabama teammates with peter woods but stanton i think was one of the best offensive linemen they're talking with the o-line coaches um for his team you know he's one of the name one of the, always the first names off of the um, off of their tongues in the way that he played. So I think he's another big-time pickup on the offensive line. they got three four-star defensive linemen in that group. Uh, so actually, again, not a great season. Michigan, I mean, not, if any buzz they did create was probably negative with the fight with Michigan. Yeah. So um, I actually think it's a really good class that I think by far really exceeded any expectations <laughs> because it could have very easily with the year they had on the field and some of the struggles, it could have gone very well the other way. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. Um, and I mentioned them – I'll mention them – not them specifically, but um, around my discussion of the disappointing class. I, I like that pick with Michigan State. I went with Nebraska. Coaching change, um, it, all kinds of negative buzz. And then Matt Rule comes in and basically did, in the short time that he had, exactly what I and I think we both think the head coach at Nebraska needs to do in the current era of recruiting. I mean, he went out there and he had one guy that he had a huge advantage on, and it was Malachi Coleman, who's from Lincoln. And he, he got the signature. Dion was hard after him as well. And then he did, instead of just going out and competing for players that have a ton of offers and, you know, you might need to jump six or seven states to get from Florida or California, Nebraska or whatever, he found some real true sleepers. I mean, Quentin Ives, Bryce Turner, Jalen Lloyd, these were all low offer, late commit guys who have high upside. And the reason why I feel so confident about it is Rule did this at Temple. I mean, they were recruiting guys that none of the Power 5 schools were recruiting developing them, sending them to the NFL, did the same thing at Baylor. And so I really think that uh, the groundwork that he laid with this class and the tactics that he took is, again, I said repeatable with Miami. I think they can repeat this next year. And if you want to say a full cycle, there's also another pretty um, prominent prospect who has connections to that school. Uh, If he could repeat this process for another for a full class, I think Nebraska could could be on their way. I like it. You know, that's certainly a good one. And a team that is 
been closing well. Two commitments there, Cam Lenhart and Ethan Nation at the Under Armour All-American yep. game. Um, you know, we, we've talked before in previous episodes about how that's one of the tougher jobs. So to come into that job with a small window of time to operate and then to elevate it and stuff like that, yeah, totally, uh, totally. Again, I like mine better, but uh, uh, <laughs> well, that's why I picked it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I certainly uh, on board with you, understand and uh, get where you're coming from with Nebraska. Um, the disappointment to me, um, looking through this, it was Iowa, and I'm going to two words or one name, Caden Proctor. I yeah. I, to me, that was like. It's still a good class. There's some good players in there. It's almost kind of screams of Iowa, you know, in terms of... Yeah. I had felt that when they got Caden Proctor, he was the singularly most important kind of commitment to a class because you get, again, a lot of great players in Iowa, but to get potentially impact All-America type players within your home state and you have a... And at a position where, I mean, he goes in there, he's going to play, he's going to be in the NFL in three years, like, you know... He, yeah, it seemed like the hand to glove fit. You got him in your backyard. They got him, and um, you know, listen, a lot of there could be support group schools that have lost players to Alabama. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're so, not the first. Yeah. yeah. So, but to me, that it almost singularly on that one point alone, it, to me, because that was just uh, to me that was it, if you coach and you coach and you recruited, you see, you only worry about the ones you got. But from the outside looking in, to lose Proctor, that's. That's a tough one. Yeah, and I mean, in my head when I'm thinking, you know, what I expect from an Iowa class, what it looks like now is kind of close, but it, I mean, that is a great point. Yeah. I mean, once you secured Proctor, maybe this class takes off, combine it if yeah. you can have a good, you know, and it just didn't work out for him. So, yeah, I like that one. Um, I went in a different direction. This is kind of similar to the Florida State uh, pick from the ACC. I'm going to say Michigan. And again, this is a great class. They're sitting at number 17. Um, but... What more can they do to sign a better class? Yeah. They've essentially, they're the two-time defending Big Ten champs. They've been in the college football playoff back-to-back years. The players they were recruiting for this class, they were the defending Big Ten champs and had just made the college football playoff, never mind what they did this year. And they're at 17. I mean, their class is closer to Nebraska that we just discussed and Michigan State that you just mentioned, who went 5-7 and seven on the field, than Alabama or Georgia. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, I, I like this class. They have, you know, some nice players at the top. They've done nice work in the portal with Ernest Hossman, who has tons of eligibility left from Nebraska, Josiah Stewart, Miles Hinton. Um, just, it's got to be a little bit demoralizing if you're paying close attention to recruiting and you're a Michigan fan and you've had all this success over the past two years, beating Ohio State, being Big Ten champ, being in the college football playoff. And you just can't crack into that upper echelon. And they had a good class last year, too. Yeah. This class is a step back from last year, too. So, again, great class overall, but all things considered, especially maybe needing to strike while the iron's hot with um, the performance on the field. Michigan, a little disappointing for me. Yeah, I, and I think if you talk to a lot of Michigan fans, this is not a lot, but talk to Michigan fans, they kind of feel the same way. It's like almost a little bit of that disconnect between what's happening on the field. Like you feel like, you know, there should be uh, more to get excited about if you're a Michigan fan in recruiting. I also kind of feel a little bit of the, uh, obviously, Jim Harbaugh in the news now. As once again, he's a was last year too. I mean, maybe yeah. that does have something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> I almost kind of feel like he's Chip Kelly light in terms of like, like I don't think Chip Kelly gives a damn about recruiting. Right? Yeah. What people think about. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like Jim Harbaugh is a little bit that way too. He's like, he's going to go get the guys. Give me some good players. We'll go yeah. on the field. We'll compete. Like, I don't really care where you kind of rank us. So I kind of feel like, uh, 
that, but it, it, what's interesting about this class too is the transfer. Usually that hasn't been something, but I get where you're coming from from Michigan. You look at the success they've had in the field, you almost feel like Michigan, the history they have, it should almost be a lock as a top 10 class. And yeah. It's not there. So I, I certainly, uh, I, I get where you're coming from. All right, let's move to the SEC. Who do you got? Are you jumping over to Big 12 and not going alphabetical? What's that? Yeah, let's go Big 12. It was, yeah. Um, so Big 12, uh, <laughs> all right. To me, like, my first thought went to Texas Tech and the job that Joey McGuire has done. But ultimately, I went uh, kind of with the same way I felt about Boston College and Miami. I go, you got to acknowledge Oklahoma and the job they, they did. Because, again, um, went 6-7 and seven this year. It wasn't a great year on the field. They went through a little bit of a, a skid on the field with a couple losses. I remember um, having a Geyer game and seeing Jackson Arnold and say, you know, I remember asking him, like, what's – what happened during that? You go, oh, the phone rang a few times, obviously. <laughs> you know, so there was a there was a window and opportunity for this class to kind of fall apart. Obviously, it didn't. It speaks volumes to the players that got on board and, and, and believing in the vision that Brent Venables could turn it around. <clears throat> but, again, they lost Malachi Nelson very early in the process when Lincoln Riley left. Yeah. But to be able to rebound with Jackson Arnold is huge. Yeah. And uh, that's a big-time five-star quarterback to get – on board, and then the big thing with that class is defense, 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 and that's where a lot of the you know the strengths of this class lead with Lewis Carter at linebacker, um, uh, PJ Adabu Ware. Uh, he is so lengthy. He's an edge defender, a guy who I think you're going to see rise uh, in the rankings going into the transfer portal for Deshaun McCullough, who player from Indiana, who I thought was one of the kind of more important potential. Portal players just because he was a talented player, brings a little bit of experience, but still a lot of yep. a road ahead of him in terms of eligibility. So to me, it was Oklahoma uh, with the job that they've done in recruiting trail and what was an off year, and also more importantly, looking at a move to the SEC, uh, to have an elite quarterback in his class, and to address some needs on defense. I, I think to me, uh, uh, they exceeded expectations. You wouldn't think of an Oklahoma class with the history they have exceeding expectations, but again, it was not a good year on the field. Yep. Oklahoma's my pick, too. It's their worst season in more than two decades. It's their best class since 2019. Um, you mentioned all the defensive players. Samuel Omasigo, one of the most athletic linebackers in the country. We have him at just under 22 miles an hour playing from his linebacker spot. So, yep, for many of the same reasons you said, Oklahoma was uh, my surprisingly good Big 12 class. Cool. I just want to end. P.J. Adabawure. There you go. I practiced it all week during all the right. game. So I'm <laughs> sure I get it right. He's He's that talented, so be sure uh, get his name right. Um, okay, on the flip side of that, uh, I don't think there's any reason to leave the state lines. I'm just going to stay. And we can make this quick because I got Oklahoma State too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you and I kind of look at Is there something going like, on? And it's almost like, you know, they've done a really great job of evaluating talent, developing talent. Yeah. So they're not necessarily like a top 20 staple, but this class seems particularly, uh, particularly kind of off schedule a little bit. Because um, usually they're always kind of good for like two or three ESPN 300 players. That sure. Like a Colin Oliver or wide receiver Bryson Green. Um, but this class doesn't have really kind of any of that. So it, it really kind of, again, this is not, they're not a top 25 staple in terms of recruiting. And they kind of got their philosophy and their blueprint and it works for them. But this, this, this one seems a, l- a little bit even kind of off track for them. Yeah, they're sitting at number 57 right now. Second lowest rated class in the Big 12. And... They started 5-0 and on the field, but 
this was not a highly rated class at that time either. They did have Jelani McDonald on board, who's um, an ESPN 300 recruit who's flipped to Texas. But, I mean, that was basically it at, the point, at, at that point. They finished 7-6, and six, no 300 prospects, no four, you know, four-star rated prospects. They have a ton of guys going into the portal, too. I mean, they're trying to plug holes with, um, you know, a lot of players they're, you know, accepting commitments from from the portal. But, yeah, Oklahoma State also my pick for the disappointing class in the Big 12. Just not really sure what's going on with it or uh, with the uh, Cowboys right now. Gotcha. All right. So uh, staying in athletic order, transition to the uh, Pac-12, <laughs> the home of Chip Kelly. Uh, for me, um, the surprise was this one was kind of an easy one for me. Uh, that was Arizona. I actually talked about Arizona uh, during the early signing period uh, on our ESPN uh, 2 coverage. I think this is a class doing a really nice job. Uh, I think Jed Fish, this program was really down, really down. Yeah. I think he's got them moving in the right direction. It's not an overnight fix, but um, increased their win total. Uh, got a good quarterback and Braden Dorman on board. Uh, Carlos Wilson's a, a good, versatile player. Um, was a Utah commit at one point. Uh, Brandon Johnson, a running back, was uh, one of the stands out at the uh, uh, UC Report uh, lead underclassman camp in Utah. Uh, a couple of good offensive linemen in that class, Justin Flo amongst their transfers. Uh, so I think this is, again, I think it's not an overnight fix, but I, I like what Arizona is doing and the direction and they're moving in, and I think this class is another good positive step in the right direction. Um, I like that one, and that one's obviously based on expectations and uh, how they finished out compared to that. A school that I think sometimes we have an unreasonably high expectation of what they do on the trail because of the brand, because of Nike, because of the uniforms, is Oregon. And so they were my surprisingly good. They finished at number eight. Of course we expect Oregon to recruit well. They're not a top 10 class year in, year out. It's not just something that they can assume. And what really impressed me about this class was I mean, this was an absolute roller coaster for the Ducks. I mean, they lost Dante Moore uh, leading up to signing day. Peyton Bowen announces for them on air, is briefly committed to them, doesn't send in his letter of intent, ends up at Oklahoma. Uh, they battled all day. They got Mateo Uyangale, Dalen Austin, Austin Nova, uh, Novasad from Baylor on signing day. Nice work in the portal with a Johnny Cornelius, the offensive lineman, and former five-star Jordan Birch, you know, out on the edge. Um, a top 10 class from Oregon dealing with the blows of some of those losses. For me, if you had said they were going to lose a five-star quarterback and you know only briefly hold on to a five-star safety and still end up with the number one class in the Pac-12 and top 10 overall, um, I might have said no way. So nice job by the Ducks uh, holding it together and signing a great class. Yep. So um, for me, on the other side of the coin, a disappointment, um, I'm going to take your approach that you took with, uh, with Michigan and Florida State and even though it's the number two ranked class in the Pac-12 and it's in the top 15, I'm actually going to go USC. Right there with you. There's a lot of sizzle at the top with Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon and Zachariah Branch. But again, like I was with Oklahoma, I'm looking at the move, the next big move. And that's a move to the Big Ten. And this class has some offensive firepower, some really impressive offensive firepower. But is there enough in the trenches and you know, along the offensive and defensive line uh, to get them ready for that move. And again, they, you know, lost their final two games, Pac-12 championship, and then in a bowl game, let up a lot of points. So there's no doubt that Lincoln Riley is an offensive genius. They've got a lot of talented offensive players. They're bringing in even more. Uh, there may probably not be a more exciting offense to watch over the next few years, but, you know, 
in the Big Ten are you going to have success trying to uh, win shootouts, especially when the weather changes. Um, so that's the thing. And they, you know, got Elijah Page, Michael Bonwellis, some good offensive linemen. Samuel Green, I think, is a really underrated pickup at a St. Francis Academy. But I think that the even though they have three five stars, why they're not in the top ten is because it's what they're missing in the trenches to me. So despite being a top 15 class to me, USC fits that role. Yeah, I agree with you. USC was, was my pick as well. Um, and it kind of hammered it home a little bit more considering up until those last couple of weeks, but of course <laughs> most of the recruiting has been done uh, to that point. I mean, what a great advertisement for coming to play for USC on the field for most of the year. They're scoring a ton of points. They're in the college football playoff discussion almost the entire year. They at one point where I believe you know they were yeah. projected to be there. Uh, Caleb Williams has you know the most exciting season of any player in college football on the field, and like we said, to you know finish with the number fourteen class. My expectation for USC is when it looks good on the field and they have a five star quarterback at the top of their class and other five stars, they should be competing for the number one class and signing top five classes. So USC again, it's a great class, but. Would have liked for a little bit more to be there. A little bit disappointing for me. Yeah. USC. Yeah, it's a program with a high bar. Yes. Could argue, but uh, with a high bar, sometimes the expectations can be great. So, um, moving to the SEC, um, the team to me, this is uh, uh, very much in the vein of your Nebraska pick in the Big Ten. Uh, I'm going Auburn, the SEC. I think. Okay, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you Freeze came in. This when he took that job, they were 39th in the country. Uh, right now, they sit inside the top 25 at number 21. Um, he's done a really nice job. Again, anytime you take over a program, we've talked about it before, right before the early signing period, you got a small window of time to operate. So to get this class and to elevate it, I think, uh, is impressive. Doing it as well with defense as well. And winning a lot of battles where they had a flip players. Keldrick Flock from F- FSU, uh, Sylvester Smith from Tennessee, uh, uh, Lee from the you know, defensive back from Ohio State, Connor Liu, uh, the three-star uh, center who I like uh, um, a lot that they flipped from Miami. Uh, they got two defensive backs here uh, recently, one of them being Tyler Scott, who created some positive buzz with his performance at the uh, All-American Bowl. So, you know, not only did they add good talent, they had to kind of wrestle them away from several other programs to kind of do so. So I really like the job that Hugh Freeze has done in, in a short amount of time. And you would think Hugh Freeze and what he's done on offense, but this is a class where they've infused a lot of defensive help. Yep. And uh, I'm going to stay inside state lines. And you can say, how could Alabama be your surprise at number one? But Alabama is in the process of signing what appears to be the highest rated class of any class since we've been covering recruiting. And Texas A&M kind of set the bar with last year's group. And... Um, on our objective metrics, which you know factor into our class ranks, Alabama is currently a tick above Texas A&M from last year. I mean, we do expect, of course, year in year out, Alabama to compete for and almost you know most likely sign the number one class. But this is probably the best class Nick Saban's ever signed at Alabama, and it kind of I don't know how, but snuck up a little bit. I yeah. mean, of course, they did a ton of work on signing day, but I don't think we've been having this discussion about Alabama signing one of the best classes uh, of all time throughout the year, and then all of a sudden you look up, and they've done it. And again, it's with edge players, it's with offensive tackles, it's defensive backs. they got two shots at quarterback, two guys who aren't the headliners um, in Holstein and Lonergan that some of the other guys at the very top of the rankings are, but they've got two shots at quarterback. When some programs are completely ignoring the JUCO ranks, they sign the number one player, Malik Benson, who's probably an immediate impact guy out at wide receiver. 
uh, running just under 22 miles an hour. And this was a quote, again, air quote, bad year for Alabama yeah. on the field yeah. because they lost two games and they weren't in the college football playoff. <laughs> we were but, joking around. It was almost like, like he's mad. Like you made him mad. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it was like retaliation for <laughs> losing close games. I mean, like, so again, I, I expect Alabama to be right there and sign it in their number one class to compete for it. But this class is incredible. So for me, it's not surprising necessarily that Alabama is at one. It's how good and how far better this class is than number two. Yeah. Uh, Interesting, yeah. So Alabama there, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's how good that class is when you would almost yeah, because like, I mean, like, this is you know they're just weeks away from their eighth number one overall class with Nick Saban. All right, the other side of the coin there, uh, for me, uh, you know, kind of go a different couple of different ways, but I'm looking at kind of the the wave of momentum they had built a year ago at this time to where they are now, and that's. Missouri. Missouri, I thought, yeah. outsigned an outstanding class a year ago. Uh, started to see some um, some production from that, obviously led by Luther Burden. Uh, I think a big reason why they exceed expectations at the top 20 class a year ago was they crushed it in state. Uh, signed four of the top six players in the state, including, not including, plus Luther Burden, who's technically from Illinois, but just right across there. Right. So I almost count him as an in-state type player, but... This year, their top player in state is the seventh-ranked player. Mm. Uh, you go from seven to thirteen; they have six of those players. But some of the players who are getting out of the state: uh, Caden Green, uh, PJ Adabawure, uh, Shadavian Bradley, Jeremiah Love. All like you keep two or three of those guys in state, and all of a sudden it starts to look a little bit different. So obviously, Missouri is a program with work to do. Uh, they're not a consistent top twenty class, but I just think of you know, kind of the momentum of what they had built a year ago to try to follow up on it a little bit more. So that's, uh, that is why, uh, you know, they were kind of my uh, quote unquote disappointment this year in the SEC. So I'm going to both cheat a little bit on this one and I'm probably going to regret saying it, but I'm going to say my most disappointing SEC class is future member Texas. Oh, wow. Didn't know we changing the rules. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is cheap. Hear me out on this one. Texas signed an excellent, excellent class. They're currently sitting at number four um, in your rankings. And it, what they've done recently made it a lot harder for me to say this, grabbing five-star Anthony Hill, ESPN 300's DeAndre Moore, you know, Jelani McDonald, who we just mentioned. I mean, this is really an outstanding class. But you've got a quarterback prospect with the last name Manning, who's been the most hype recruit possible. You've had him on board for a long time. And you still can't sign a better class than Alabama and Georgia, who you're going to be competing for in the SEC in a couple of years. A little bit demoralizing to me in the sense you have Manning at the top of your list. You've signed an outstanding class, but Alabama's class is categorically better than yours. And Georgia's is still rated higher than yours. So again, I, I could really regret saying this in a couple of years because this is an outstanding class. But if you're not going to out-recruit Alabama and Georgia... In this cycle, with Arch Manning at the top of your commit list, I, I don't see a path for you to out-recruit those two schools. Oh, wow. Or whoever has it rolling, yeah. let's say. In the you are so angry at Texas, you shoehorn them into the SEC discussion. Uh, listen, I, yeah, I, I don't... Listen, they are not the Texas that we kind of remember from you know, a decade or 20 years ago even. Um, but... It's still the top five class. Yeah, they it's a great, it's, an, it's an excellent class. No, nope. nope. not that far behind. I think if they get some of the players in his class to perform like that, 
then they could start to, they're not that far off. And if they were sitting at 10 or 12, I, I might, I might be with you and kind of raising the red flag. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, I would, uh, apparently you don't have any trips planned to Austin anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do, you might want to wear, uh, one of those glasses with the mo- the nose and mustache on them. Uh, all right. Interesting. Yeah. I did not see that one coming at all. <laughs> Uh, all right, so it's actually, yeah. All right, so <laughs> I had over. And by the way, the, the so it's and this is again to kind of frame what the state of recruiting is in the SEC. Texas, I had just picked as my most disappointing. They're not even in the conference yet, but yeah. I just picked them as my most disappointing class in the SEC. But it is definitely one of my five favorite classes in the country. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, the uh, it's always fierce in the SEC, and you're right. And it's never too early to start uh, looking at that move uh, to the SEC and how important that's. That's going to be, interestingly enough, Oklahoma was my top surprise program. Not surprise, but, uh, you know, exceeded expectations. That's why this discussion was about expectations and not just rankings. So quite quite an interesting uh, turn of events there. What a a way to end. Uh, I'm sure some people might have thrown their listening devices. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So a nice little wrap up there. As you mentioned, literally, I mean, close to over 85% of the class already signed. So yeah. there's still some work to be done here over the next few weeks leading to the regular signing period on February 1st. Um, obviously, we will reconvene and see if we need to uh, make any adjustments there. But uh, it was kind of a fun exercise. Uh, interesting look at each of the conferences and two teams at it. Uh, again, more to come uh, here in coming weeks. And uh, again, uh, probably the big news on horizon is the updated ESPN 300. But appreciate you tuning in. Again, if you... Uh, Missed any previous ones, get caught up. We've had some uh, great guests, including a uh, uh, USC commit earlier in the season, uh, Malachi Nelson. But anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, you can go back and find those. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again in the next edition of the uh, Recruiting Blitz podcast, powered by the UC Report.